Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuha. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper on May 19th, 2019. Right. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful day here. As That's terrible, you... as ugly a day as it was one week ago, mm-hmm. this is gorgeous. Right. And as it was yesterday when we went on the long bicycle ride. Yes. Or uh, MS. Yes, we went uh, on a MS yeah. uh, fundraising ride. The big kids all go to Cape May or something. Oh no, for no, the whole no. ride. I don't know about we, that. Yeah, we just do the fifty, like the 50 miles. Well, there's also a twenty-five, twenty-five, fifty, seventy-five. We did the fifty, but we changed the route because they screwed up the route. I mean, for whatever reasons, and they have to deal with a lot of local authorities and you know people live there. Who knows? But uh, the great attraction to us has always been that it's by the shore, and you're riding uh, by the ocean to some degree. And they had a route that was totally inland, uh, which were going to these neighborhoods. They're okay, but they're suburban neighborhoods. And a lot of stopping and starting, a lot of stop signs, a lot of red lights. In other words, on a bike, tray annoying. Uh, <laughs> and we, namely you, had the wherewithal to say, you know something, we don't have to follow the route. We can go our own uh, we way. We can go our own way on the way back, and we went by the shore. It was much more rewarding. Yeah. It's it's a route that goes from Monmouth University down to basically Brielle. Right. And kind of weaves around. That was and, a turnaround. Uh, yeah. You go through Belmar. You go through Asbury Park. You go through Deal, Ocean Grove. Uh, so it's really uh, the history of the Jersey Shore. And the Jersey Shore is beautiful it is if you haven't been it's kind of amazing get off the turnpike <laughs> go see the well shore. but again go to the, go right to the water and, and it, you know it's you really can ride very close to the and water one little anecdote from the story at a certain point the instructions were a little bit confusing yeah we didn't know if we were going the right way and uh, we stopped i stop to discuss right. and we're worrying about all this and uh, the lady uh, raked her yard, looks up, and just says, "No, you're going the right way. If you're on the fifty or the sixty, yeah. you're fine. You should go this way." Right. And uh, we just we were she, thrilled for her help. She, she and it's just a riot that the innocent bystander that right. she was, she knew. She didn't seem like she was into bicycling too much, or, no, or the whole no, situation. No, but she uh, was happy to help, and that did help us. So anyway, so that was a great day we did on our own, uh, actually 44 miles. Well, And right. uh, the beauty of biking by the shore is it is flat. Flat. Uh, so well, it was a breeze, but and there was a breeze. And, and But we saw flat. the ocean. I mean, the idea of, you know, biking around these uh, suburban houses where you can't see the shore has really You know, they were appeal. charming neighborhoods. Maybe. You know, if you came from some city locale. Right. Or if you came from right. some random... Uh, sort of suburban cookie cutter development. You'd say what a nice These house. leafy green charming old shore neighborhoods right. were lovely. Right. Okay. Ten miles of that but was enough for me. We were looking for the, the shore. Ocean. It's the ocean. We found it. Uh, so there was uh, an article we didn't go to a show this week. Uh, we took a break, but there was an article in the Times today which was a conversation between their two uh, Broadway reviewers who are Ben Brantley and Jesse Green about the Tony nominations, and it was a little more wide-ranging than that. They talk- so the Tonys are coming up. And, yes, the Tonys June 9th are the so. awards, right. the Oscars two for weeks, Broadway shows. Two weeks from today. Okay. Two and, weeks. 
Usually we're out of the country. Well, we're not. We'll, we'll, we'll be. We'll be here. We're we're usually on a bike ride somewhere, but we're we're not doing that this year. Right. We got other stuff going. We on. We got other stuff. But uh, so we'll be home for the Tonys. Right. So they. Um, I don't know. They were talked about what they thought would win, what they thought should win, what they thought should have been nominated, even beyond uh, Broadway, because. And was it interesting? Uh, uh, sort of. Uh, a couple things were interesting. I mean, uh, these guys are into their own heads a little too deeply, but uh, there are a couple points they made. I mean, look, they got their ear to the ground a little bit. And they they know a little stuff. Uh, they to kill a mockingbird. Uh, remember, we were all shocked it wasn't nominated. Couldn't figure it out. And they no, it got a lot of nominations, but wasn't nominated for the, best play though. R- well, but it also uh... no, it's not nominated for best play, not for best drama, and that's the shock. And, right. uh, I mean, it's the most successful uh, non-musical play in, like, the history of Broadway. And so it was it a knock against Sorkin? Or no. They, they say, well, no one could figure it out. Uh, the thought was it's too... They wanted to have a new, uh, real original material as opposed to an adaptation. That was the theory that was being floated. Uh, and uh, they... But what's the real story? They said there was a lot of bad feeling because, as we mentioned on the podcast before... That To Kill a Mockingbird's producers had taken steps to shut down other producers of similar plays, people who had done their own adaptations of the novel in smaller cities. And uh, Scott Rudin is his group. The producer went and shut him down. And I questioned the legality of that. Uh, and it certainly created a lot of bad feeling. And, and these folks, Brantley and Green, thinks that's why they didn't get the votes. So, so that the members of the... That, yeah, who are working actors and, and producers and, and directors and the like... Gave him a thumbs down for that reason. So it could have been. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, their their take on um, the musicals was kind of interesting because just to read, you know, the vibe I had gotten was people are falling in love with Hades Town, his best new musical, and it's extremely ambitious. So you could see it, right. and, th- and that's not where they are. And you actually know people who have been. Yeah, and, and who love it, and who loved, loved it. Loved it. A younger person, right? A younger really, person. But, uh, yes, but they loved it. So you, you know, you're. I'm ready to buy in. Okay, I'm ready to buy in. And they said, "Yeah, Hades Town's good, but you know what? The new musical is that we really love. That's not based on previous material. The Prom. They both said we like The Prom better than Hades Town. We don't even love Hades Town. Now, the Hades Town is written for New York Times reviewers. Okay, so if the New York Times reviewers <laughs> don't like Hades Town, you gotta wonder. Now, who are they giving the Tony for best musical for? They, they're probably giving it to Tootsie. They haven't fully really figured out, and they like Tootsie quite a bit. They yeah. just like Hades. They like everything about uh, about the prom except uh, the music's not very good. Well, the prom <laughs> sounds like a feel good, inclusive, you know, thin, yeah. <laughs> not important, insignificant piece of material. So maybe that's it. Uh, on in terms of the, um, I don't oh, I think should, you should really say that until you go see it. Uh, and yet, you're not going to go see the prom, right? And you're uh, not chilling. They out did say two hundred small ones. They thought that Carmen Jones should have been nominated for best musical. They couldn't have been because it's not a Broadway. Carmen play. Jones. Carmen Jones, which was the production done by Classic Stage. We've Put on the air here that I'm on the board of Classic Stage, so I get that out there. But, but they I loved am it. not on the board, and I thought it was great. Yeah, uh, they thought Anoka Noni Rose should have been nominated, or could have been nominated. She's of the quality for best actress in a musical. They thought uh, that John Doyle, best director, director yeah. for a musical. So they they like that. So that's a good shout out on the uh, on the best play. They like to think that what the Constitution means to me is the best play, but they. 
kind of think that the ferryman's the best play, uh, but uh, we'll see. But uh, they like the idea of what the Constitution means to me. They feel it's that much more socially relevant. Although they say the ferryman's got a lot to say that's socially relevant, too. They feel it's too old school or just Conventional. The way they put it, they said it, it feels like it's the end of the playwright's journey. It's an experienced playwright who has worked through a lot of things, and here he is. Whereas the Constitution means to me is a new voice. You can take that, and that's what attracts them to it. Yeah. But the thing that really struck me more than anything is that they believe that the deserved winner for Best Actress in Musical will be Stephanie Block for Cher. For Cher. And I'm going, what? Because <laughs> that's a highly competitive category. I'm not against it. I haven't seen Cher. And we love Stephanie Block. Stephanie Block's a great talent. So when you give an award like that to Stephanie Block, you're recognizing a lot of her previous achievements. So I'm totally cool with that. But they're saying it's a done deal. And and I looked it up. Cher's still playing. She's still in it. So Stephanie Block is yeah, still in it. Yeah. I've seen pictures from Cher. Yeah. Um, and it just looks awful. Uh, they're not. I, there's nothing. That they're not lined up behind the play. They yeah. don't like the musical. Right. They like her. So anyway, it's interesting for that interesting. reason. Interesting. But so you looked at the magazine section. I didn't really get a chance. It had the big CBD thing, right? Right. So it has a cover, and it just uh, has like a giant CBD gummy right. bear. Right. And then it's surrounded by all the possible things mm-hmm. that CBD. Uh, is supposed to cure, right. you know, everything, everything, uh, you know, schizophrenia, anxiety, uh, menstrual cramps, uh, you know, it just, uh, and, and the headline is, can CBD do all this? And of course, the article doesn't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. So um, that's a disappointment. But, you know, it was an interesting article. It had a lot of uh, anecdotal stories about uh, CBD and, and THC and uh, these sort of uh, medicinal qualities of both. And, uh, and that was pretty interesting. They had stories about uh, the, what's called the vernacular cannabis movement. And that is to say, you know, you know uh, CBD cannabis has been used medicinally for centuries, okay? But the science about it is very thin right. and the FDA hasn't approved um any of its uh, properties uh, pretty much at all mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's really been the people who are moved by conditions uh, like this one woman who is a neuroscientist uh, um she her son was just almost completely um debilitated by epileptic seizures and uh, she was desperate to find some kind, something to ameliorate his uh, pain and suffering or, or cure it. And she comes across uh, people who uh, you know, are having success with CBD extract. Um, and so she researches it. And so it tells the stories of, you know, not all of them are happy endings. You know, uh, some uh, it seems to have some success. It's all pretty anecdotal some success with uh, epilepsy and uh, is a dis- disappointment for others but anyway it's an interesting article it uh, really details what is cbd what is thc interesting to me of course thc is the psychoactive mm-hmm. um 
uh, molecule in cannabis as opposed to CBD, which is not. And uh, one of the things that's interesting, they have such different uh, kind of They're counterbalancing, yeah. it sounds like. And, uh, but throughout time, the ratio of THC to CBD in the cannabis yeah. uh, that one may buy uh, can really be different has really changed. There's much bigger percentage of THC. Now, THC has dire consequences to some extent. Um, it can uh, affect brain development. It can, uh, you know, uh, if used uh, too much early on in age, it can, they suspect it uh, creates um, uh, psychotic, mm-hmm. um, what would you call it? Episodes. Episodes. Yeah. Uh, encourages a schizophrenia. CBD may guard against those things, but it seems that as the market, you know, is going for the THC effect, um, the product uh, has had a large, a lot of a larger percentage, and so that has altered um, that. So that was interesting to me. The sort of vernacular movement, the movement of the people as opposed to scientists in right. finding ways to develop and uh, market a CBD extract uh, that is consistent and reliable and, you know, effective uh, is also interesting to me. Um, So, you know, it's kind of an interesting article with uh, a lot of uh, interesting points. Also, here's another interesting thing. Um, They think that CBD may, seems to reduce drug-seeking behavior. And that it can be possibly used uh, for um, opioid addiction mm-hmm. help. Right. Um, so uh, lots of interesting facts there and seemingly a good amount of potential. All right. Good. We'll see. Uh, sounds like there's a lot to learn, though. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, they really don't know. They, they know pretty well how THC works. Yeah. Um, and uh, they apparently can't quite figure out how CBD right. actually works in the brain. So that would help to know more. All right. Oh, you know what? It may also help with cancer. Well, it doesn't yeah. cure cancer. Just yeah. But both THC and uh, CBD can right. help people get through the treatments for right. cancer. Well, that's the standard medical marijuana usage. Right, right. Marijuana. Uh, so uh, basketball, basketball. Um so look, here's what, what's going on. We're heading toward a final. We're not there yet, but we're heading toward a final that's inevitably going to have Golden State uh, opposing the Milwaukee Bucks, your favorite team. Fear the deer, as we like to say. Fear the deer. We want the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and uh, is also, that going to be hard on the Curry family? No. Why would it be hard? Be sad. Why? Because their other son won't be in it. Yeah, I think they know that. I think they knew that going in. But, they're pretty cute to watch. Yes, they are cute to watch. But uh, the mother and they, the father, they, they, mother agonized. Well, the point they got a son on Portland and they got a son on Golden State. But but Portland's an inferior team, and the son on Portland. It's nice that he has a little bit of a career, but he's not he's not you know Steph Curry. This is Seth Curry. Apparently, they had limited range of names, but Steph and Seth. But Steph is the better player. He's on the better team. I think they knew that going in. And the father was a big star, Del Curry, big star in the NBA. But in any event... He seems to be taking it in stride. Yeah, because he's... But the he, mother is in agony. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, yeah, well, he knows basketball. 
So in any event, uh, Golden State is going to play Milwaukee, we believe. That's not quite set yet, but it seems where they're heading. Golden State is going to be a big favorite, huge favorite. Uh, much really? more coaching, yeah. So the Greek freak can't uh, make this happen? Well, he, what, here's what I'm trying to explain, is, is that uh, Golden State's a better team, but the reason to lean to Milwaukee is because of karma. Now, karma is a big deal. Karma? Yeah, in basketball. Dan Abuhoff is <laughs> it's karma. urging me to... I'm not pulling this out of the air, all right? Here's the way that works. Karma is a huge thing in sports. Okay. Okay, and it works on people's psyche. People right. understand to some degree that they are deserving of winning or not deserving of winning, and it affects the way they actually compete. That's how karma plays it. It's my really? old theory, yes. So here's why Golden State is going to run into a karma issue. Uh, number one is they're playing with two of their principal players hurt, uh, right? right? Kevin okay. Durant and DeMarcus Cousins. Two super all-star players. They haven't lost a game since Kevin Durant got hurt. Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the league. Don't, don't miss a beat. So, in other words, they've been playing with a stacked deck. It's crazy. They signed these guys so after they're already stacked. No, 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 no. And, and they're no over the years. Oh, oh, over, over the course the year, of the year, they're playing. Of the year. Right, yes. So they loaded their team beyond belief. They're unloading it, and they're finding, in fact, they're a better team without them. They'd almost be better off without playing. Some people think. DeMarcus Cousins and Kevin Durant is who upsteps, upset the chemistry, but that's not the way the NBA works. These guys are going to play, and that's going to be an adjustment. It's an embarrassment of riches. It's too much. Okay. It's bad karma. The second point of bad karma is— You know what I say. What? Too much is not enough. Well, I, that's another conversation. But the point is—the second point is they're moving from Oakland to San Francisco. Bad karma. For the last 50 years, they've been in Oakland. They haven't been a successful team. Oakland hasn't been a successful city, but Oakland has... They've been the working man's team. Exactly. They bonded with that team. Now they're successful. They're doing whatever a lot of people do when they become successful. They they're leave. moving to a better neighborhood. They're going to San Francisco. You're supposed to stay with the girl you brought to the dance. Exactly right. Okay. That's enough said. Bad karma, right? Bad karma. And what do we have in terms of the coverage of the Milwaukee Bucks besides the Greek freak? There's an article in the paper, okay, about a guy who is a security guard for the Milwaukee Bucks. His name is Dick Garrett, all right? He's been a security guard for the last 10 or 15 years. Everybody loves him. He's very even-tempered. He's right behind the bench. New guy buys a team, a fellow named Peter Fagan. He greets all the employees. The security guards gets to know Dick because he's an outstanding employee. And then he has a reception for former players of Milwaukee Bucks. And who does he see standing there but Dick Garrett? And he says, Dick, what are you doing here? Well, Dick Garrett played in the NBA. <laughs> and he played he played with the Milwaukee Bucks. He played, he got he was a teammate of Walt Frazier's in college. He graduated about the same time. He played with the Los Angeles Lakers. He played with the Knicks. He played with the Bucks. He went to championship games. He was like, you know, on the all rookie team. He was a real player. And you nobody know, noticed? Nobody knows. He's a security guard. And they so they say to him, uh, Dick, uh, isn't this a tad unusual? Well, here's his story, all right? Again, economics were a little different then, but not totally different. Spends five years in the league, was a very respectable career. Uh, then, you know, he plays his way out of the league. It's hard to stay there because he's not a superstar. Uh, he gets a job. His last team is Milwaukee. He gets a job in insurance, and he gets a job with Miller selling beer products. And he likes to say, if I can't sell Miller beer in Milwaukee, I can't sell anything. And uh, <laughs> so he has some success, not super success, but some yeah. success. Raises four kids. They have the ups and downs of having a family. 
And, you know, he has that job and somebody at some poker game says, Dick, you know, they need somebody for a security guard. Do you want to fill in tomorrow? And he, he does it. He likes it. And he does it. And, and that's where he, he is. And so that someone said to him, I don't understand why you're here. And here's his quotes. He says, you know, people ask me that all the time. They must think this is somehow beneath me. But I've also got 100 people coming up to me and saying, how do I get that job? <laughs> he says, listen, I'm at an NBA game. I'm on the floor. I'm watching the best players in the world and getting paid for it. What's the complaint? All right. Now, that's right. good karma. Okay, good karma. So keep that in mind when you pick a team. Milwaukee Bucks. Right. Of course, we all know how your picks go. Uh, let's keep See, going. See, now I'm feeling bad for the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> keep going. All right, more sports. Yeah. There's no end to the sports. Yeah. And this I got from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Ugh. So you knew you know it's good sports information. Yeah, they were totally into sports. Um, and really, the headline was the uh, NHL team that acts like an NFL team. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, the Carolina Hurricanes, who you know you're not interested in talking about anymore because they're I, out of the playoffs. I was never interested in talking about that, okay. but, I, but I'm anyway, doubly not interested now. Um, it's the um, you know the Hurricanes, and we watched a few of those games. And it's Sadie that pointed out to us that uh, their nickname is the bunch of jerks. That's correct. Uh, because uh, the guy who bought them, Tom Dundon, right? Okay. Uh, was in, actually encouraged the team, got the team together, uh, and said they've got to engage more with the local people. They need more people to come to the games. Right. They're in North Carolina, right? right? Uh, not exactly a hotbed of hockey excitement. Cold bed, yes, but yes, uh, cold and, bed. Uh, so the team actually dreams up this thing, the storm surge, where at the end of winning games... They will do some kind of little pantomime or performance kind of inspired by this, the uh, end zone celebrations in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, they, you know, they do things like they all line up uh, and uh, somebody throws a um, helmet mm-hmm. uh, as if they're a Bowler? bunch of bowling pins yeah. and they all Genius. fall down. And, uh, and people yeah. call them a bunch of jerks and for that. They, and yeah, and, and uh, they got a lot of grief for that and uh, people said, you know, um, well, I tell you, the hockey people, the NHL. I'll tell so. you, I'll tell you, it was it was Don Cherry who does the broadcasts for uh, NHL hockey. He's a leading broadcaster. He's kind of an old traditional guy. He's actually close to eighty. Coached in the league many years, and he's, somebody said, "What do you think of that kind of stuff?" He said, "I think they're a bunch of jerks." It's that simple. And you would agree. I do. <laughs> uh, he also encouraged, you know, especially in the South, there's a whole a big tradition yeah. of tailgating. And uh, they well, encouraged that and had, you know. I, I'm all for tailgating. I, the only thing I, yeah. I can't get excited about, I, I hate the NFL and zone celebration. So I can't get excited when someone says we're imitating the NFL. But it's nice that they're doing better. That's nice. You know. It's they, nice. I think they're winning and that's good. And look, anything's in good. In this day and age, you really have to market the team. Uh, but it's interesting that they seized on these traditions of uh, football yeah. to try to sell hockey. Whatever works, works. Uh, they're calling it Southern Fried Hockey. Mm. <laughs> so, and also, a little shout-out to our new favorite minor league team, yes. the Somerset Patriots. Uh, so this week there was a lot of excitement uh, about a video of a sports announcer, a game announcer. It went viral. Uh, went viral because a foul ball was hit right into the press box or whatever you call it. Right. And through the window, into the window. 
and the announcer caught it. Caught it. And it was indeed... Uh, he caught it without missing a beat. He kept yeah. talking. He said, there's yeah. a foul ball. Here it is. Oh, I got it. What a great catch by me. Two yes. strikes. One yes. and two. <laughs> and it uh, turned out, I thought when I watched the video, that it looked familiar. And turned out, indeed, it was well, we, we, at the We uh, brought them good luck. We went to a game. We to, yeah. First time ever, two days later, they go viral on this event. Do you think that's a coincidence? You know no. What, you know I what mean, that is? You know, once again, we're ahead of the curve. No, you know what it is, Tamsin? What? It's karma. Car- <laughs> it's good karma. All right. So there right. you go. They're never going to win another game. All right. So here's something that will go in the bad karma category or something like that. Okay, uh, in other words, it's perfectly effective, but yet, problem. 3D printing. Okay, we all have the vaguest notion of what 3D printing is. Well, it turns out what you can do with 3D printing, among other things, is you can make parts that have been discontinued for classic cars. Why, how, why does that have a negative side? I'm going to tell you in just a second. The negative side is this. Because I'm thinking, I, I'm, me, this is a great positive. I, right, this I, is a little, you know... Always, you know, we are givers here. And so here is another idea for my brothers, right. Steed and Bryce, retirement ideas. This is retirement right. gold. Let me put it. Boys, get yourselves a 3D printer. They probably have a 3D printer. That's not the hard part. Okay. But, but Or they could make one. You know what it is? I shouldn't say it's bad. I should say it's just not an unadorned blessing. Uh, here's the problem. There are car parts for, you know, older cars. And we're talking about really older cars. Do go. And the first thing you do is you try to see if the original manufacturer is around and try to get the car part from them. It's often hard to do. Sometimes you don't you go to the junkyard and just sometimes get you go to the junkyard. You try to get it there. Sometimes the way you or get just it, go to my father's garage. There are also people who have businesses or who have subcontracts. Say, you know, yes. I'll make. I'm a, familiar with this. Oh, this I'm is from great. A car family. Well, now what you can do instead is you just give it to the 3D printer. He says, "I can make that for 1956 so Desoto." Junkyard guys out of business. It's not the problem. The problem is it lowers the value of the car. When the guy when they put it in a car show, they want to see the original part. They don't want to see a 3D printed part. But what if you just like the car and you want it to run? Now we're talking dollars and cents, honey. Okay? It's all fine as far as that goes. But if you talk about the value of the car, if you take a 3D printed part and you put it in there in the transmission, carburetor, whatever you do, someone's going to say, that's not winning the award for best uh, rem- best preserved car, and that's going to be worth 15 20% less. Now, you might say it's 15%. It's no big deal, but they give an example of a $2 million Ferrari, 15% is real money. So that's what it is. Nobody's dealing with a $2 million Ferrari. Uh, Look, I just said it's it's not completely good news. It's not the first place you're going to go. You got to go to the junkyards first, as you say. You got to go to the original manufacturer first. And you would think people would say, this is great for new cars, for old cars, in the way you did it initially. But in fact, they're saying, I don't know. What I want is authenticity. The thing that attracts me to this is that it's old, not that it runs. And therefore, they don't want the 3D printed part. Got it. I just okay. don't think. Uh, listen, I'm here to report the news, dear. I'm not here to, uh, you know, make things happen all the time. Um, Doris Day died. Now, as you mentioned to me before, we hardly... I know why we're doing this article. Why? Because the headline is, A Sex Goddess in Disguise. Yes. <laughs> and you think that... Attracted my attention? I didn't read it. <laughs> All right. Here's why Doris Day matters, okay? I, I do think... Well, look, Go they, ahead. They start, with the, they start with the Oscar Levant quote. You know the Oscar Levant quote? No. Okay. He says, I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. 
That's the famous Oscar Levant quote. I and love Oscar. I know you do. See, I'm warming you up. I'm get, drawing you in. And that was a story. I mean, is, is Doris, does Doris Day represent uh, like incredibly repressed culture, a step back for women, a step, step back for sexual openness, uh, a reminder of a time that we all like to forget? Or does she represent something else, something more modern, uh, something that's still worthy of interest? And I'm in the latter category. And here's why. Okay? Of course. Of course, of course she's interesting. Because <laughs> I'm a man. Now, the thing about Doris Day is, is this. Uh, let me just read the one paragraph in the otherwise totally incomprehensible article about Doris Day by A.O. Scott. There's not another sentence in this article that I could possibly read in good conscience. But he does say in writing about... You know, a lot of the parts of the movie, she's matched up against what he calls a raffish he-man who comes along to ruffle her feathers. Raffish? No, raffish is a word. Ruffle her feathers with his sheer masculine irresistibility. And the movies go on from there, and here's the quote. He says, Day is the key to it all, making the movies work. Because her presence simultaneously upholds the pretense of virtuous normality and utterly transgresses it. She is a walking, semiotic riot with a pert nose and a winning smile, keeper and scrambler of a whole book of social norms and cultural codes. Here, here, let me put this in English. Doris Day actually held her own with all these co-stars. Now, what do I mean by co-stars? I have the names, okay? Jim Cag, James Cagney, all right? Um, Jim Garner, Clark Gable, David Niven, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, Rock Hudson, and no lesser figure than Howard Keel, all right, in Calamity Jane. These were macho, macho guys, alpha males, all of them. And they would encounter Doris Day, and they were totally confused in every movie. It was like they attracted Doris Day. She wasn't bowled over by them. She kept her, it kept them in her thrall. But she wasn't really that carried away with them like they were carried away you with know, her. This is not a videotape of real life, okay? No, that's... Somebody what, wrote these I stories. Under, I'm not... I'm, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, you They're make a good point. Stories. You make a good point. Doris Day herself is a little hard to get to. As a person, I don't know. I'm talking about her roles in the movies, okay? She, but you, she got knew me how to play this role. Yeah, she played this role... And and that figure, there's nothing that's retro about that figure. There's nothing that's not feminist about that figure. That figure holds her own with all these people easily, and even in terms of intelligence. So anyone who thinks that Doris Day's character in these movies, which was a consistent character, was something that is not worthy of interest, completely wrong. These are good movies, like Lover Come Back, uh, Thrill of It All, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's, that's all I have to say about Doris Day. I can see your interest is already waning, but... Uh, I think I added a lot to the dialogue. Well, there are some people who say she was a great singer. And she was a great singer. That's yeah. true, too. That's a totally... Aside. We were listening to some of that yeah. last night. How did yeah. that strike well, you last I night? Mean, the first... I can't remember what song it was. There was one song where you just said, okay, that's not great. Right. You know, uh, clearly she it was lost too slow. something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was more to her singing than just Que Sera. Sera. Yeah. No, she, um, she had, that's you know, clear. Love Me or Leave Me was, a, was you know, You Made Me Love You is a Judy Garland song, not for her. But Love Me or Leave Me... Songs like that, she could sing. I mean, uh, she clearly could sing. Uh, and she was terribly successful as a singer and as a... All right, I leave Doris Day to you. Okay, fine. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I haven't watched her movies in a long time. They seemed uh, 
pretty silly to me yes, growing we'll up. But maybe, you know. We'll take another look. We'll take another look. Yeah. Um, all right. So just a couple of uh, small observations uh, from the uh, Wall Street Journal. One is there was an article with the kind of a review of uh, various birding books. Yes. And uh, <laughs> now you've perked my interest. Burning well, I'm, books. I'm not going to talk about the burning books. I'm just going to talk about that. The it starts out with a discussion of you no longer say bird watching. Yeah. You say birding. Not often. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And apparently birders yeah. have known this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, I had no clue. Bird watching is considering pat is considered passe, too passive. An activity birding implies a more engagement, right. even though it's uh, even though it's the now same we've thing. Got basically, to say birding, and we know some yeah. birders. We know serious birders. Isn't birding and bird watching the same thing? No, no. <laughs> what a rookie no. mistake! What, what's the difference? I don't have no idea what okay. the difference is. I am not applauding right. any difference. It's obviously semantics. Yeah. But now these people feel better oh, being happy. doing birding I'm happy for as them. opposed to. Bird and watching. I, and I feel better about that. And, and then the article does also discuss that it's more of an interactive and communal yeah. uh, endeavor these days because of social media. Oh, good. And you know yourself. I mean, your good friend Harry, yeah. who is not a birder, no. but he's an insector. Yeah, he knows birds. He knows birds. He knows birds. Right. And uh, a great deal of his fun seems to be sharing his observations, his finds, his experiences right. um, through uh, social media. And this connects uh, people I, I in think a way that simply identifying something and writing it down on your life well, well, list. They see, actually, that's the interesting thing about social media. People are down on social media for a lot of good reasons. But it has created a lot of communities with respect to subject matters which were considered peripheral subject matters previously and it helps people in those areas find them, find each other. Yes. And that's clearly a plus. Yes. Yeah. yes. And, and that's a good uh, example. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, uh, you know, shout out to birders, birders everywhere. Um, and uh, if you can figure out why these new books might be exciting, uh, go for it. Um, and then there was also a mention of bedtime snacks. Yes, this is what I wanted to hear about. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, being able to get a good night's sleep and how important that is to one's health. Uh, And uh, very often, one of the things they say is, uh, you know, um, don't do anything too exciting. Don't listen to, you know, stimulating music. Don't eat anything Mm. uh, right before you're trying to But you're going to put the lie to that. Because your body will be busy. You will get all excited about trying to digest it. Um, But it... Uh, there's a whole bunch of products now that are being sold as kind of sleep-inducing products. And you'll be glad to know it's things like ice cream. Mm. Uh, There is a brand of ice cream. uh, Let's see, what is it called? It's called Night Food. And it's fairly expensive, but not any more expensive than, you know, like... Premium uh, ice cream. Premium pints of ice cream. And uh, there's also Nestle's is promoting a chocolate that's called... Good night. And so the, the idea of the ice cream is it doesn't have a lot of uh, evil things in it, uh, right. all those multi-syllabic well, but, chemicals. Right. And this one guy, there's a, you know, uh, a report of this guy saying, uh, you know, I eat a pint every night and I sleep like a baby. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, I'm wondering is if he's had to size up in his pajamas at all. <laughs> a pint a night sounds well, like a lot of ice well, cream. Well, but see, this is reminiscent of me. As some people know, you make your own ice cream. Uh, I eat it often before I go to sleep. I sleep like a baby. Uh, but you've always been a great sleeper, so uh, I don't think that. But you've always made excellent ice cream. I, I don't know. It's, uh, and no chemicals in your ice but cream. But now I do have another reason for eating the, ice cream. The, no, I, I think that we're this much closer to putting your ice cream out on market. I think uh, this is the big break we were looking for. We're going to market it as nighttime ice cream. Right. Only it's going to cost like $45 a pint. That's fine. That's fine. What, what you know, price can case, you put? In that case, we're going to have to throw in some CBD and maybe even a little THC. <laughs> Maybe. But what price can you put on a good night's sleep? Uh, okay. Horse racing, as we wind toward a close, almost to a close. Uh, horse racing. So we had the Preakness. They had the Preakness yesterday. You know, I talked to my mother. About, you didn't tell me this. And uh, she said to me, she waited all day for the Preakness. And? She said, Maryland. The Preakness is, yeah. She's, um, and, which makes no sense. Yeah. Because these races have always been in the evening. Right. Or at least for the last... 40 years that I've been watching right. them. And so why she was waiting all day for yeah. the Preakness, and she said when it came time, when post time came, she dozed off. So she missed the race. Really? But, I, you know, I'm losing, I'm losing a little faith in her uh, sports watching ability. Really? Uh, anyway, it was... Uh, here's, here's what's interesting about the Preakness. She was also worried about the guy who fell off the horse. All right. Your she mother... Said, she thought maybe it was his first time. He didn't realize. He had to put his feet... <laughs> well, we should explain. Starts. Someone... They had a bad start, and one no horse immediately threw uh, his jockey. The jockey was fine. They interviewed him later. It happens sometimes, although I've never seen it, but fine. And the horse didn't interfere. So that's... Your mother's should, fear should be I put to her rest. I told I felt confident that... Uh, okay. It wasn't his first time. was right. racing his, for the first time. His pride was her. Well, that's a good way to look at it. You're absolutely right. So in any event, it was won by a horse called War of Will. And here's what's interesting about this. Um, the the uh, Triple Crown's been kind of ruined by the controversy in the first race when they took down the winner, Maximum Security, and gave it instead to a horse that was named Country House, uh, and uh, what you then eliminated was the possibility that Maximum Security could win the Triple Crown, and as a result, he didn't run in the Preakness. You made Country House the winner, but Country House is not a good horse, uh, and he couldn't have won in the next race, and they didn't put in because he developed a bronchial cough or something like that. So Triple Crown's down. But the real story is this. The horse that could have won had you not had the wild trip for Maximum Security in the Derby wasn't Country House. Country House couldn't win in a million years. Stayed out of trouble. It was War of Will. War of Will was right behind uh, Maximum Security. And a lot of the other jockeys said War of Will was going to win that race if Maximum oh, Security so, hadn't veered. All right? So, so he, he was the... War of Will out of... Right. And, and as a result, War of Will came in sixth. So, and yet a lot of people said War of Will was the best horse in that race. Well, now they run the Preakness. Who wins War of Will? So now War of Wolves trainer can say, I should have won both. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to have the Belmont. Now you've got something to think about. Because if War of Wolves wins the Belmont, people are going to say, this horse is like a triple crown horse. Could have won all three. So now you've kind of restored interest in triple crown the way you couldn't have done otherwise. So anyway, that's a little bit of an interesting angle. Uh, so we'll see. Now we have a reason to watch the Belmont. <laughs> we needed a reason? We needed a reason. There's no Belmont cocktail? No, no there isn't. It's New okay. York. All right. And so finally today... Uh, kind of a um, 
fun story yes. uh, in the um, vows section of the New York Times. Weddings so exclusive, no one made the guest list. Yes. Lavish elopements. I like that phrase. Are growing in popularity and we have social media to thank. In other words, you can have a fantabulous wedding alone by yourselves. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. And well, it's crazy. just post all this. Well, you would tell me about this. These are not people who just, you know, who rent a nice no, chapel there's a, there's and a take a nice film. There's a picture here of an amazing uh, wedding. You see just the, you know, official the the and the bride and groom. It's in the University Club of Chicago's Cathedral Hall. I mean, well-appointed. They spend $75,000 on the wedding. That's insane. And they're the only two people there. Alone for the ceremony and alone for the reception. They dine alone. Well, they probably had a nice hotel room. They have a three-piece band. Oh, my God. And they dance alone. Right. Okay. Um, And, uh, you know. Businesses are growing up around this, uh, in, including one uh, called Destination Elope, in case you need help planning this. And uh, the um, co-founder of that business says, these people are asking for intimacy mixed with a wow factor. Yeah. And then they also tell the story of another couple from Budapest, who has a wedding in Hawaii alone. And it costs them in the neighborhood of six figures. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Their families were less than thrilled yeah. uh, when they heard about the elopement. And so they end up having a, uh, a party in Budapest afterwards uh, with 350 people invited. All right, so that's... Now, of course, we ourselves eloped. We did. It wasn't... Nearly as lavish. It cost about $75, right. uh, including two nights in the bed and breakfast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we can't really... Um, oh, yes, we can. What do you mean we complain? can't? Well, we can't complain, but we, sure we, we can. We understand no, we don't. the concept of elopement. We understand the concept of elopement, but the whole point of elopement is that you're saying to yourself, you know something, I'm not sure I want to go the route of the huge party. I mean, that's the idea, right? No, these people, are, they do want to go. That's yeah, why I don't understand party. it. Sometimes people like a party. With just the two of them? They want to live their best life, Dan. <laughs> Who says I want to have a party where you have a dance band? What do you say to your, your new husband? Let's sit this one out. There's no one on the dance floor. You can't sit that one out. I mean, what are they doing? But what about the romance of it? Just alone in a magnificent setting. You can you do know? that. It's like Beauty and the Beast or something in his castle. <laughs> You know something? This but people is, feel left out. This, I, I did, uh, no, you know. This is strange enough that it might be fueled by fantasies like Beauty and the Beast. I don't know where people are coming from with this. There's no making any sense. It is a little bit, smells like the me generation, doesn't it? Well, um, it's, it's all kind of me, me, smells, me. Smells, yeah. doesn't smell good. Let's leave it at that. Hey, look, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I, I don't get I, it. I don't know. Um, people spend money just, any way they want. You're just complaining about the lavishness of it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But and a wedding can be lavish because you're showing off for other people. Uh, we chose not to do that, so I, all I'm saying is I get the idea of doing it in a minimalist way, in a, in a ceremony that means more than you, that's more intimate. But why you would go? Uh, I, I'm not going to invite people, but I'm going to go with maximalist and not intimate and huge. I don't understand. I just don't get it. 
Okay. I don't know these people. We'll have to do some research. We'll have to do some research. But we're not against elopements. Uh, for our next anniversary. We're not against private ceremonies. No, we aren't. You hear that, Zeke? Noel? Not against Not private against private ceremonies. ceremonies. That's okay. right. But you missed your chance, guys. You could have gone something like this. $100,000. Oof. Shh. There are other kids in the family. Oh, that's true. All right. Don't so, be giving people any ideas. Yeah. Uh, that that's it. That's our report. Uh, we're looking forward to the Tonys. We're looking forward to the Belmont. And next week Lots we're going to be in G Vegas. G Vegas. For those of you wondering what G Vegas is, that's it, a nickname for Greenville, South Carolina. Right, well, we better. Which we'll, actually, we're going there for a family wedding, and we are looking forward to it. Right. And you also talk about a maximalist wedding. We'll give you the report from there. Uh, and so until then, it's Dan Abuhoff. And Tamsin Granter, I'm a little upset now because I feel like now all the burglars will know we're going to be away next week. All right, we'll week. cut this part out. Uh, <laughs> from Tamsin and Dan, uh, read the papers. And there's a wild chance that Dan will pick out a Doris Day song to play uh, after we sign all off. Right, we'll Just see. preparing okay. our loyal listeners. I think I hear it in the background now. Okay. I'll see you. <laughs> Bye. Love me only me. Let me be lonely You won't believe me And I love you only I'd rather be lonely Than happy with somebody else You might find the nighttime The right time for kissing but nighttime is my time for just reminiscing, regretting instead of forgetting with somebody else. There'll be no one unless that someone is you. Tomorrow